Good morning again, and welcome to Seneca Community Church. It's good to have you with us. Last week, we launched a new series, Margin, Making Room for Life. And uh, the first week, taught, week, we talked about why margin and how Jesus built margin into his life. And the way we defined it last week was we said, margin is the space between my load and my limits. So as we continue to dive in and unpack what it means to have margin in our life, to make room for life, we're using this as our working definition. This is a pretty common definition when thinking about margin. Margin is the space between my load and my life. Now, if anyone's uh, listening online or joining us online, just a reminder, you can download the program and the message guide to help you along, and it's at scc.website forward slash messages, and you'll see the program and also the message guide. So hopefully uh, you can find that a helpful tool. So um, here is a big surprise. No one ever complains to me Dave, I have too much time. I wish I had more to do. Very rarely. No one complains to me, Dave, I just have too much money. I wish I had more uses for my money. Actually, I have had a couple people do that, but for the most part, uh, you know, a couple of people have anguished over trying to use their money, but for the most part, no one is saying that. Uh, no one complains to me, Dave, I just don't have enough to do. Uh, I need more things to do. I'm not busy enough. Uh, no one says, I, I got the kids in the car dressed up and we we're all ready to go and we had no place to go. Uh, no one says to me, Dave, uh, I, I just have too much sleep. I, I just can't believe it. I'm, just, I've, I'm filled up with my sleep and I just don't know what to do. You see, it's quite the opposite. Most of us struggle to maintain margin. We're looking for ways to kind of regroup, to have room for living our life. And uh, sometimes we wish that the answer was as simple as this. Too much to do and no time to do it. Need to hang it, need to bang it, need to lay it on the floor. Need to change it, rearrange it, well that's just what tackle's for. Need to throw away the garbage, need to haul it all away. Need to wash or clean or feed it, tackle does it every day. Too much to do and no time to do it. Get the app and tackle it. You know, I almost was tempted to call in and see who would come. Like, I've got these jobs around my house, and just to see if someone would show up, if I could actually even, even afford it just a little bit, just to see what that even happens. But obviously, we know it's not that easy just making a phone call, and all of a sudden, all the things that seem to be suffocating us, uh, all those left-on jobs just uh, magically get done. And then, of course, uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but then there's just uh, what to do with um, all our extra Ever stuff. Do you feel like you have way too much stuff and not enough space? Ziploc helped me turn this closet into this closet. I tripled my storage space with Ziploc Space Bag. Just pack your items, seal the Ziploc Space Bag double zipper, and vacuum out the air through the valve. Triple your storage space with Ziploc Space Bag. I'm skeptical. I don't know if that would really work. When I saw that uh, closet, I was like, how does that really work? But again, uh, you know, we're all looking for margin or we're, we're realizing we're suffering by not having margin. 
Uh, we've been told uh, that the average uh, person is sleeping two and a half hours less than human beings slept 100 years ago. So our rhythms are diff so much different. I don't think that uh, you know, we're more capable, more strong. Our bodies don't need that. I think we are just feeling that there's just no room in our life for even sleep. I read somewhere that there's actually uh, the average office worker has 36 hours of work piled on their desk just waiting to get done every day they come in. And then the other per, and then also in that kind of setting, they spend three hours a week just looking for stuff. Again, there's just too many things in our life. Before I went on vacation, uh, I had uh, been slackered a little bit with my email, and this may not sound like a lot to you, but it is to me. I had over 800 emails still in my box. I had read them, but I hadn't known what to do with them yet. And usually I keep that down to, to 30 or less. And so it's again, it's just, it's just all this stuff is just coming at us. So what do we do with it? And how do we, uh, what happens, you know, as we're trying to figure this? Because when you and I live without margin, it just opens the door to all of these kinds of things that might be there at some level, but they're just so much more intense. Uh, when we live without margin, uh, of course, there's, you know, uh, stress and anxiety, uh, a little more grumpy a little more demanding, sometimes a little more intolerant, uh, more conflict-prone because you're just up to your eyeballs, um, a little more isolated, a little more shallow with what you're doing. And for the Christ follower, there's, it, it opens up the door to be a little more sin-prone, uh, being out of alignment with God, sinning. It also involves uh, just being foolish, making bad decisions, whatever. And many times we find ourselves ineffective. And I'm sure if you looked at that list, you might find a couple that... Uh, Kind of align with your life when you feel that your margin is just missing and you're up to your eyeballs and there's just nothing you, you can do about it. You feel like you're just stuck. All those areas come into play. And I, I challenge you, maybe not right now, so the person sitting next to you is not watching, but I challenge you to go through that and maybe circle some of those things or maybe add a couple things. And remember, if you're sitting next to someone who knows you well, a spouse or something, uh, don't be elbowing them and pointing to things like that. So... Uh, but again, just look through that and see how margin is affecting you, how it's, uh, what it's doing in your life. And again, when we think about living with margin, we think about the idea of not using up all I have, but reserving some of my time, energy, and resources for the unexpected. And we've all had those moments where we don't have resources, whether it's time, whether it's energy, emotional energy, finances, whatever it is. But then some of us have had those moments where we have had the resources. So whatever the unexpected thing is, it's not a lot of fun. We're not really enjoying it or whatever, but we actually have the resources to actually work through it. The unexpected doesn't floor us because we do have margin. Uh, I've shared with this, it's been a little while, but I, I love when all of a sudden I have a really packed day and I'm talking to the Lord about it. And a lot of times this happens. I have a packed day and all of a sudden the Lord steps in and cancels some of my appointments. Someone calls in and says, I can't make it today. And I'm like, whoo, I'm so glad they couldn't make it because all of a sudden now I have this time of space to do what I was feeling the pressure of. So this idea of building margin into our lives. Uh, Rick Warren has a really good outline talked about this, and, and we're going to be using it this morning. But uh, he talks about the idea about living with margin, that it's great for your mind. 
Uh, it just gives breathing room in a sense in your mind. It gives you more peace, less hurried when you and I have margin. And a lot of times we're just a state of anxiety. You're going someplace and you're traveling and you're running late and you're just, you're just irritated the whole way on your drive. Other times you've got plenty of time and you can just kind of casually get to your next appointment. This idea of it's healthy, great for your mind. Uh, it's also good for your body, believe it or not. We're told by uh, doctors that when you and I are under stress constantly, it actually affects, it can affect our heartbeat, it can affect uh, just a lot of things. It can affect our sleep. We need sleep, but we can't sleep. So the idea of having good space in our life is so important. And again, last week we looked at Jesus, and he would take time to have space. It's also fantastic or great for your relationships. Uh, when you have margin, you actually have time for relationships. You can actually not just be across the surface, not just kind of scattering, checking in. I know sometimes some of those of us who are married, it's like ships passing in the night. We're just going, 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 and, and we don't really even know what happened in each other's life. And so when you and I build margin into it, it's good with our children, good with the people we work with, people we just like spending time with. Uh, we have to realize that, uh, you know, when they do... Um, races, and Jonathan Monfalel should be here for this, but uh, NASCAR and all those races, I, I get the idea that they actually have required pit stops for them, the cars to check in things. You know, something's going wrong, but sometimes they just check everything, because uh, you know you can't check your car when you're going 200 miles an hour, or whatever they go, and the same thing is true with our lives. When we're going that fast and we don't have any margin, there's not room for that, and obviously it is great for our soul. When you and I have margin, it is wonderful for a soul. And for those of us who are in the habit of spending time with God on a regular basis, that's fantastic. But sometimes you and I can have no margin, so we're just checking it off the list. We're really not engaging. I've been there. I, I read a passage, and I'm really not even reading what it says. Or I read something, and I'm just flying because I want to check it off my list. Yes, I spent time with God. I did what I was supposed to do, but I really wasn't there. Same way when you're meeting with somebody. Sometimes you can be with them, but you're really not there. So the idea and the concept of having margin is just so important for us. Um, when, when we get back with a soul, it, it, affects, it affects our ability to listen and hear from God. It also expect, it affects our ability to actually serve God and touch other people's lives. When things are so wound up, when you're rushing from thing to thing, when you don't have any margin, there's not room for that unexpected. There's not as much room for all of a sudden God to kind of breeze into your life. And now there's a situation that maybe somebody needs some help, and you can actually help them because you actually have some margin in your life. Um, Paul writes about this in Romans 5, uh, 1. He says, by entering through faith into what God has always wanted us to do, uh, the idea that we place our trust in God, we say yes to Christ, we begin this relationship with him, uh, we accept our forgiveness for our sins, our disobedience, uh, we're thankful that he rose again, and so we enter into this relationship with him, this growing. Uh, we're set right with him, makes us fit for him. We have it all together with God because of ma our master, Jesus. And then we read on the effect of that, and that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we've always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory. That idea of wide open spaces, breathing 
room for life, room to walk with God and touch other people's lives is there when we have margin in our lives. So the big question is then, how do we live with margin? And we're going to look at uh, six ideas, six concepts that help us actually um, live with margin. So let's get into that. And uh, I haven't done this in a while, but our Bibles are back in the seats around. And uh, if you don't happen to have a paper copy of God's Word, we'd love you to take that uh, Bible as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Also, just a, just a reminder that uh, there's an app online called uh, Uversion. It's a free Bible app, and that's just a great tool to have also so you can look at God's Word. Now, you're going to notice when I read through um, Exodus 18 down into 24, I think it is, as I read through that, I'm, I'm going to switch off a little bit with translations. Well, sometimes people ask me about translations. And uh, basically, when we're using translations, there's different phrases translated different way from the original languages. And, and no translation gets all the nuances. Uh, I was told when I was in school that uh, the difference between English and knowing the original language is like watching TV in black and white and watching high-definition TV. You, don't, you just don't get it all. And so some of these translations will take some of the nuances that one translation didn't use, a little phrase, and, and just kind of really um, put it into the, into the passage. And so if all those little nuances were used, uh, your Bibles would be four or five times the size. If it said it could also mean this or that way and that kind of a thing, or you could say it with this, weight the word this way. Um, there's actually a translation called uh, the extended version, and it, what it does is it actually has where there are lots of words that could go in a different way. It has A, B, C, and could tell you the different ways it can be translated, again, which gives a different little different flavor. So just so, so you're mindful of that. So we're going to start off in Exodus 18, 6. We're going to talk, look at Moses, and we're going to see that Moses needed some margin in his life. And we're going to see that his father-in-law actually speaks into his life, and he actually listens. So let's uh, read through this. Jethro had sent word to him, that's Moses' father-in-law, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons. It's interesting to me that the family wasn't with Moses. We could say that Moses had gotten so caught up in what he was doing. Yes, he had a noble task. But his family was away. It's interesting that his father-in-law initiates and says, Hey, Moses, I know you're busy, but hey, I'm bringing your wife and two kids back to you. Have, you. have you kind of forgotten about them? And we say, Wow, what a shocker. That's Moses. But sometimes you and I can get so involved in things and have no margin in our lives that we sometimes forget about the uh, relationships that, aren't, that are so important to us. It doesn't mean we're like totally forgotten to them. It's not like they're on another, in another area, but they might as well be because we're just moving through life so quickly, or just again, because it's so full. Read on, we said, so Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him. Try that sometime with your father-in-law. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and about all the hardships they had met along the way, and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things that the Lord had done for Israel and rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. You need to remember, there's probably one million men and another million people at least. So he's leading probably two, and some people say even six million people. So he's seating before them. He is the judge. 
and they stood around him till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as a judge while all these people stand around you morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me and seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. Key verse, verse 18, out of the message paraphrase, you'll burn out and the people right along with you. This is way too much for you. You can't do this alone. Moses needs margin. There are things in our life that we just can't do alone, or we have too much volume in our life. Moses is experiencing that. You and I are experiencing that. When we're not making room for life through margin, it gets miserable, and eventually we burn out, and those around us burn out. Verse 19, listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. Interesting. It's just not instructions. Those instructions should show up in the behavior of their lives. Likewise, those of us who are Christ followers, we read, we know, the behavior of what we know should show up in our lives. I read an interesting article yesterday about translations. Kind of interesting how that all came together. And uh, it said that uh, so they're discovering that the folks that uh, really are tuned into, let's say, more word-for-word translation, uh, more accepted, more mainline, you know, just translation, whatever you want to call those, uh, and compared to the person that might use more of a paraphrase, they've done a study and find that those that are into the word-for-word more than the other kinds of styles of translation spend less time in the word than those that are into the other translations, which was kind of interesting to me. The, the writer said, this is a huge surprise So it's interesting to me sometimes how people uphold a principle, uphold an instruction, lift it high, but when it really comes to their lifestyle, it's not showing up. Moving on to verse 21, and then you need to keep a sharp eye out for competent, capable men, men who fear God, men of integrity, men who are incorruptible, and appoint them as leaders over groups organized by the thousands, by the hundreds, by the fifties, and by 10. He goes on, let these rulers judge the people. If there is a very important case, then they can come to you and let you decide what to do. But they can decide the other cases themselves. In this way, these men will share your work with you, and it will be easier for you to lead the people. Verse 23, if you handle the work this way, you'll have the strength to carry out whatever God commands you, and the people in their settings will flourish. Another translation says they will be satisfied also. And then uh, verse 24 is maybe the most powerful verse. You're going to say, what? How can that be the most powerful verse? This is Moses' response. Moses listened 
to his father-in-law and did everything he said. Remember, Moses is 80. Moses lived his first 40 years, and Pharaoh's court had the best of learning, the best of everything. He's been a uh, shepherd, learning things, God working on his heart for the next 40 years. Now he's in his 80s. Uh, he's just led these people out under God's leadership, but this is big deal stuff. And Moses stops and listens. That's why Numbers 12.3 can actually say, Now the man Moses was a quietly humble man more than anyone living on the earth. Very cool that Moses, a great leader, was also a humble man that would listen. I have to ask myself, how often do I really listen and engage with what I hear? directly from God through his word and from others. Do we listen? You have to put yourself in Moses' shoes. If your father-in-law or if someone like that came into your life and said these things, how would you respond? Would you listen? Would you do it? It's interesting, Moses does do it. And so he goes from one to, let's say, two million or one to six million to one to ten. One to ten seems pretty doable. And there could be crazy things with 10, but that seems pretty doable compared to millions. He listens. So as we think about how to work margin into our lives, how to live with margin, the first idea we need to think about is this idea is accepting my limitations. We need to understand that we do have limitations and we ought to accept them. We're not Superman. Uh, the, rules, uh, don't all, the rules do apply to us. Uh, sometimes we don't think they do. We're not invincible. Uh, we need to rest and recharge. We're not a robot. We're not a machine. And so we need to accept our limitations. Uh, you know, you could see Moses in some setting. You know, maybe if you put yourself in, you might have said, yeah, that's great, father-in-law. It's great, dad. But, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not that many. Maybe it can be one to a hundred. Maybe it can be one to a thousand. I can handle that. But Moses accepts all that his father-in-law says. And again, his father-in-law speaks into his life, and he accepts his limitations. Um, we read in Psalm 119, I've learned that everything has limits. You and I have physical limits. We have emotional limits. We have mental limits. And we have a capacity. And all of us are a little different. All of us are a little different. So someone else's capacity might be more than yours or less than yours. And, and that's okay. You accept your limitations. You come to terms with that. And you don't feel jealous. You don't feel competition. You go, this is who God has made me to be. And this is the way I'm going to function. I'm going to take this and take this with responsibility. It doesn't mean I'm going to slack off. I'm going to be the best person God's made me to be. But I'm going to accept my limitations. I've shared this a, a few times, but this is a good place to share it, I guess. Uh, some of you are aware that I have dyslexia. When I was in high school, I was one of those kids that went to the resource room to be helped with English and some of those things. And uh, every once in a while, you'll hear me misread something. Uh, you'll hear me mispronounce uh, something. And that's sometimes that learning disability coming, coming through. Sometimes I don't know the word, but a lot of times that's what's happening. And I, and, and I, I have to struggle with that. It, it bothers me. I feel shame sometimes for that. Um, my, uh, my dad, as you know, speaks five languages. And, you know, when it comes to those things, that's, that's in his wheelhouse. 
It's not in my wheelhouse. So you need to look at your life. A lot of us have lived a few years, accept our limitations, and then lean into what God has called us to do and not, not get stuck there. And Moses doesn't get stuck there. It's really hard when a limitation, we see it, and it feels like it limits our emotions. It limits, you know, who we are. We have so much identity tied up with that, and it's hard to swallow, hard to struggle. But we need to accept that, need to accept our limitations. We also read, again, that whole thing with Moses. He'll burn out. He had to accept his limitations. And it wasn't just going to affect him. It was going to affect the people around him. Job writes, our time is limited. You, God, have given us also so many months to live and have set limits we cannot go beyond. So we have to understand that we have limitations, and there are limits around us. There's limitations to how long we're going to live and all of that, and we just need to come to terms and accept that and then lean in and be the best we could. Again, Moses He responds to that. He responds well. He leads in. He doesn't stamp his feet. He doesn't disagree. He accepts that. And that, to me, is just pretty pretty amazing. Again, it shows his humility. Another thing to think about is we need to ask what our motives are, what motivates me to overload my life. Why am I doing this? Why do I let other things creep in? Uh, Moses could have said, well, I'm the number one guy. I'm the anointed. I saw the burning bush. I've got all these credentials. Did you see all those uh, plagues that kind of came at my hand? I spoke to the Pharaoh and all this stuff, but, but, but you know, and, and it's me. It's about me. And he doesn't do that. That wasn't motivating him. What was motivating him is the impact of the people. You see, sometimes what motivates us to take on more, whether it's more financially, whether it's more their calendar, time, uh, whatever it is, sometimes it's our insecurity. Uh, sometimes it's fear. Sometimes we're afraid that if we do what we can do but no more, that God's not going to work it out. Sometimes you and I need to rest and say, I'm not adding that thing. I'm just going to trust in God. He's not leading me to do that thing, but I want to do that thing because I'm afraid that if that thing doesn't get done, if I don't take that up, then it's going to fall apart. No, not have a fear. Sometimes we do things for envy. We put some more hours in because we want to own something that somebody else does, or we want to have some ability that somebody else does. Uh, We want what they do, and it causes us to be dissatisfied, so it motivates us to be overloaded. Uh, Sometimes it's a restlessness. At times, I've I've talked with folks, and we've had conversations, and and we've come to the conclusion that they just have a restless spirit, and it's just kind of always restless. They, they, they only can settle in for so long, and then they're looking for something else. And I say, you know, sometimes that's God working in that life. So, sometimes it's just that they've got a restless spirit. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen other pastors where it says, this is not our home. So there is going to be some kind of tension, some kind of out, of out of phase when we're living on the planet Earth, not until there's the new heavens and the new Earth. So there's this restlessness. But just acknowledging that. But don't let restlessness take cause you to take on more. Um, you know, and took a couple business graduate classes back in the day, and, and one of the things that would happen a lot of times is people would get promoted to the level of incompetency in a way. That sounds horrible. They were doing a good job here, and it was awesome, and they would take the next job. And when they took the next job, they weren't effective. There were troubles and those kinds of things, and they really should have stayed at the place they were. They were restless. 
And now they're doing this other job, and, and they're not as effective. The joy's gone. It was a restlessness that could cause them to jump to that other place and be in a spot that they weren't shaped for. And then just a, a desire to impress. And uh, that makes me uh, think of this guy uh, when it comes to what motivates my life. Super suit? What? Where is my super suit? I, uh, put it away. Where? Why do you need to know? I need it. Uh-uh. Don't you think about running out to doing no daring do? We've been planning this dinner for two months. The public is in danger. My evening's in danger. You tell me what my suit is, woman. We are talking about the greater good. Greater good? I am your wife. I'm the greatest good you are ever going to get. He was absolutely right. He was caught up in the moment. And uh, he was stepping out to do something that was motivated because he wanted to be in his super suit. He wanted to be the hero. And again, there's a time for that. But the reason that clip resonates with us so much is because there are times we want to step into something and be the hero and step away from something that actually is more important, uh, has a more significance for the long term. Also, we see some people are never satisfied with what they own, and they never stop working to get more. They should ask themselves, why am I always working to have more? What a senseless and miserable life. And it's easy to see that in somebody else's life. They, they never have a moment to enjoy anything. It's just go, 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 or it's sacrifice for this, 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 and they never get to experience it. I can remember my dad talking to me, and it was a little bit hurtful that uh, my, his mom, my grandmother, uh, passed away in her late 60s, and uh, she and my grandfather saved, 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 saved. I mean, there's the story when they were first married, she had one dress, and she would wash it every night, let it dry, and put it on the next day, that kind of a thing. And this is, you know, my grandfather was born in 1900, so they were in the Great Depression, all those kinds of things, so they saved, saved, saved. So my grandmother passes away, and my grandfather remarries. And when he remarries, it dawned on him that he had all these resources. He was getting older. They ought to enjoy them. So they traveled the world to Italy, to Bermuda, all these places. And it hurt my dad a little bit that my, his mom never got to experience the, the fruit of all that labor. Because up until that point, it was save, 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 never enjoy anything. And uh, it's the idea of what a miserable life, in a sense. It wasn't a miserable life for them, but it was, it was a part that they could have experienced earlier on. And my grandmother, uh, my dad's mom, didn't get to experience that. So just, again, looking at life, what are you saving for? What are you working so hard for? What are you doing? It, it turns into a place where it's just senseless. Why do you work You're doing what you're doing, and you're just miserable? It just doesn't make sense. If you handle the work this way, again, Moses... You'll have the strength to carry out whatever God commands, and the people in their setting will flourish. That was Moses' desire, that the people would flourish. That is what motivated. He wasn't there, and there's other times where God gets rightfully frustrated with the people and says, I'll take them out, and I'll restart a people from you, Moses. 
And at least once or twice, Moses says, no, 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 you can't do that. First of all, you can't do that to the people. And second of all, you can't do that because it, it will look like you couldn't work in these people's hearts to all the nations and around, and I want you to be glorified. You see, his motivation was strong, and he understood that. Also, uh, we need to realize that uh, we need to expect problems and delays. When it comes to our margin in life, we just need to expect that. We need to realize that, that we're just gonna, things are going to get tight. Sometimes uh, you know, unplanned things come up. Uh, sometimes our schedule fills up. We just need to understand that. I, I can remember learning this earlier on. This will make some of you giggle a little bit, but uh, back in the day, uh, you know, Starbucks had this thing where you'd buy one cup of coffee, and if you were a gold card member, you could get as many refills as you wanted. And uh, I was one of those customers where that would land at Starbucks about 6 o'clock, and I would plan to have like four separate coffee meetings, one at 6, one at 7, one at 8, one at 9, one at 10, buy one cup of coffee, and it was great. Uh, but what would happen is because I wasn't planning well, I should have understood that some of these meetings would go longer. So what would happen is they would like bump into each other. I'd be still talking to another person. There'd be another person coming in to meet with me. And so I had to realize that there are going to be delays. There are going to be problems. So I need to build some more time in. So uh, we'll even talk about this a little bit in another point. But this idea of building an extra half an hour in. So from that point on, now I'm giving you my secret, I try to always put an extra half an hour in any meeting I have so that if it goes over, I'm set to go. Also, when it comes to, maybe you probably already do this, but when it comes to setting doctor's appointments, I always try to get in first thing. So before they start getting backed up, I get them when they're right there or right after lunch, and it just saves time. We ought to, and again, expect uh, that we're going to have um, all kinds of delays and just understand that. Um, Jesus says, in this world you will have troubles, and we think of grand troubles, but there are always hiccups, and if we can plan for the hiccups and just build life in, things take longer, things cost more, then all of a sudden we have this margin, and it lessens our uh, stress. It's a, it's a wonderful thing when we get to that place, and really, that's what's going on in, in Moses. Moses is going to have all these people, they have disputes, especially even now when he, if he goes from this one to ten ratio, these disputes are going to be high level, high energy. I'm sure when it was everybody, there were disputes that he could just, you know, off the top of his head, yeah, no big deal, do this. Now he's got to really engage this. So these ten disputes he's dealing, a one on one ten relationship um, ratio, is just going to it's just going to be heavier lifting for him. So he just needs to expect that. He needs to understand that. Um, sensible people see trouble coming and avoid it, but unthinking people will walk right into it and regret it later on. If you've read Andy Stanley's book, Principle of the Path, this is the central verse and uh, this idea that we can see things coming, so we ought to uh, you know, adjust for that, understand that, and uh, realize that, that uh, you know, we can plan for it. It doesn't have to be unexpected. Also, and I kind of alluded to this already, but add buffer space into my schedule. And so I mentioned about the half hour, and uh, you know, I'm, you know, I understand that there are times where uh, there's just going to be, you just need more room. And it's senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, fearing you'll starve to death, for God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. And again, just building, breathing room into life. And uh, really, that's what Moses had to do in his situation because he didn't have that breathing room, and his father saw it. Again, it's interesting. His father-in-law sees it 
very clearly. It didn't take him any time to see it, and Moses wasn't seeing it. So we have to slow down enough to actually see it, have other people speaking into our lives. This may sound a little harsh, but only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work. There's time to stop. There's time where the job is never done, so you could go as many hours as you'll give it, and you've got to learn how to build buffer space into your lives, or you're going to have that stress that just sucks the joy out of life. A part of this is to prune activities regularly, uh, to look at your schedule and see what things you really have to do, what don't you have to do. I'm sure in all of our schedules, there's are things that we really don't have to do. And God, yes, says he'll give us the strength, the energy to do what he's called us to do. But if we have all these other things added around the edges and we feel drained, we just feel drained. So we need to understand that. We need to look at that. Ecclesiastes, we read there's a time to keep things and a time to throw things away. And uh, we need to, you know, adjust for that. Um, and if we don't, it can, get really, it can get really tough. In Hebrews, we say we should remove from our lives anything that would get in the way and the sin that so easily holds us back. Uh, there's something called sideways energy. So it can be a good thing, it can be a busy thing, and it can get in the way of us doing the important things. And the only way you figure this stuff out is you slow down enough to think about it. You get in God's presence, and you lay your schedule out. Uh, most mornings, I lay my schedule out before him. I lay the appointments out before him. I pray about it, and then I try to figure out what kind of work I do behind the scenes and what I should do and just ask him what's important. And sometimes I find myself gravitating towards something that is easy or something that just kind of puts something else off. And I really shouldn't be doing that. I should let that kind of go to the side. I have a things-to-do list, and I move it out to some other time because it's really not that important for that moment. And again, Moses has to learn to do that. He has to prune things back, or he's going to be too busy. Uh, Paul talks about this. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. And again, that's that idea that uh, we don't need to be involved in all these things. Uh, uh, Andy Stanley, in another book, um, Better Decisions, talks about not something being right or wrong. He speaks about something being wise or unwise. Because sometimes it's easier to say, oh, that's wrong, that's right. But sometimes even the things that aren't wrong are just unwise, and they're not beneficial for us. We shouldn't be involved in them. And then there are the things that are sinful. In Joshua, we read, some of you are keeping things God commanded you to destroy. You will never defeat your enemies until you throw away those things. And we see even after the nation was being formed and territory was being divided up, there are places where the, where, um, the Israelites were supposed to remove people that were going to be a snare to them, and they just didn't deal with it. And eventually God says, I'm not going to remove those people. Those people are going to be a snare to you for your, the rest of your existence. And there are things in our life that God has called us to remove, not have apart, prune away, and, uh, you know, we just kind of put it off. And sometimes when I come to those passages, when I'm reading through the Bible, I'll say, Lord, what are the things that I need to prune out of my life? 
And Lord, have gracious mercy to me because I'm sure there's some things you've addressed in my life that I haven't dealt with and I don't want to get to the point where that becomes a, a, a rhythm of life that really never goes away. I don't want that vulnerability, that limp to stay with me forever. So please, Lord, sensitize my heart. Help me to want what you want and to get rid of those things and to prune those things. Lastly, if you're going to have a margin in your life, if you're not going to be driven by the wrong things, if you're not going to be captivated by other things, we need to set our identity on Jesus. And for me, this is a regular, everyday event. My identity is in Christ. It's him that forms who I am. All the other things, they can't become my identity. God brings blessings into my life, blessings into your life. I need to hold them with hands open. My identity, I hang on to Jesus with hands closed. But all the other things, hands open. And I have to learn that over and over and over again. So much so that basically probably four times a week, maybe five, I read this verse to myself. It is in Christ that we find out who we are. And what we are living for, what I'm living for. Long before we heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. I love that. Had his designs on us for glorious living, Christ-centered living, effective living, powerful living, part of the overall purpose. He is working out in everything and everyone. And I need to hold on to that. Like I said, I read it all the time because I want my identity not to be in other things, but I want it to be in Christ. So as we think about this and we think about margin and we think about the things that, in a sense, uh, uh, drive us, captivate us, uh, uh, the margin that's not there because we want something or we're kind of off course a little bit, we need to realize that our drive toward, we either drive towards margin or you will drive margin out. You either drive towards margin, or all of a sudden the drive, you'll end up driving margin out and there will be no white space. The stress increases, our effectiveness goes down, and like Moses was warned, we find ourselves at the edge of burning out, and those around us we bring to the edge of burning out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the story of Moses. I, I, I thank you for his responsiveness to his father-in-law. That, that actually warms my, my heart to see that he actually listened. The head guy, the, the center guy, the guy who had led the people out for the exodus listens to someone else, listens to his father-in-law. He, he sees that he needs margin, and even he uh, will burn out. So, Lord, I ask that you would help us to take stock of our lives, that we would listen to the people that speak into our lives, that the stress in our life that's totally unnecessary because we haven't built margin in life, we ask that that would be dispelled. Help us to drive towards margin, or the drive will cause margin to leave us. Father, we thank you that uh, you work in our hearts and you lead us step by step. Help us to come to you with open hands. We ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.